So if you have been with us the last few weeks, you would have be, followed the series that we are going through um, from Luke chapter 2, our Christmas series, but it's part of a bigger series as we've been looking through the, the gospel of Luke verse by verse. And last week we looked at chapter 2 verse 1 to 7, uh, the birth of the Messiah. Remember in a lonely, stinky stable we learned that there is no circumstance where God's power cannot be displayed. And today we're looking at verses 8 to 20, a passage very familiar to us, of course, at Christmas time. But this will have a, a New Year challenge for all of us as we look in forward to the New Year and the, the challenges that there are there ahead for us. So if you would turn with me in Luke chapter 2. We will be reading from verse 8 to verse 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would help us to ponder the gospel. We pray just as Mary treasured these things in her heart as she witnessed these different people responding in different ways to the good news of the birth of Jesus. We pray this morning that we would quieten our hearts, that the Spirit would help us, Lord, to focus this morning on this passage of Scripture that might be very familiar to us. And we pray that we would not just go through the motions. But Lord, that we would respond much like the, the angels did here, with much joy. We pray, Father, that we would ponder them deeply in our hearts and that the Spirit would help us to apply these truths, Father, with all the, the circumstances we may face and all the challenges that we may have going into the new year. May, may we see that your word is sufficient. May we see, Lord, that you are the all-sufficient Savior that we can come to in all these different circumstances of life. 
So we ask, Lord, please open our eyes, open our ears to the truth of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this passage that we're going to study this morning, the focus of Luke, of course, is going to be on, on Jesus and the gospel. But the way that he focuses us on Jesus and the gospel is not so much highlighting or, or putting the spotlight directly on Jesus. Because you'll notice in this passage, Jesus is, is almost mentioned in passing. He's the child in the manger, and there's almost no further reference to, to Jesus in the passage. But of course, the passage is all about Jesus. And the passage is all about the gospel. And the way Luke Really, he draws our attention to Jesus and the gospel is to, is to paint three different pictures for us. And I want us to see that this morning. The first picture we see, of course, is in verse 8. And he shows us a group of shepherds on, on the hillside around Bethlehem, around Judea. And then verse 9, all the way down to verse 14, he shows us another scene. And the scene starts with, with one angel, and then it expands to a multitude of angels, a full sky of angels announcing the birth of Jesus. Now, in verse 19 to 20, the, the scene changes, and it's Mary on her own, in the solitude of her own thoughts. And the shepherds leave the manger scene, and they, they head back to, to the fields um, where they praise God. And so we have a woman pondering of what has just happened. She is thinking about all these things. She's thinking about the angels worshiping, and she's thinking about the, the shepherds who are, who are praising. So those three scenes we're going to look at. And Luke draws our attention to Jesus and the gospel in this narrative. But before we study, let me, let me ask you a set of three questions which are going to be relevant to these three scenes. And of course, you don't have to answer them out loud. Don't, don't raise your hand. Just answer them in your heart and your mind and your own thoughts. And the first question is, what do you think of yourself? How do you see yourself? That's what I mean. When you assess yourself, what comes up at the end of that? And I'm not asking a self-image question. Um, let me ask a question rather in this way. As you think about Yourself, do you see yourself as a, as a sinner? Do you see yourself as a, as a sinner saved by, by grace if you're a Christian here this morning? Is that part of how you assess yourself? And of course, do you understand the implications of what it means to be forgiven? The second set of questions is, what do you think about the gospel? Do you ponder on the gospel at all? Do you think about the gospel at all? Of course, in our day, there's times where we are very busy uh, between, between food and between children and between our jobs and, and life in general. But are there times in between that you think about the gospel at, at all? How much time do you give to, to thinking about the gospel? And then the third set of questions, which is related to this, the second one, is what do you think about when you are alone? 
What do you think about when, when you are alone? One famous evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody, he asked the, the question, what do you think about when you are in the dark? What do you think about when you are in the dark? Very revealing question, isn't it? And of course, he would say that the definition, that the definition of, your, of your character is determined by what you are thinking about when you're all alone in the dark, when nobody's around, where you have to put on any, any performance. What do you think about when you are alone in the dark? Of course, the question is, what do you ponder on? See how that's connected. So what occupies your thoughts when you're not thinking about other things? Well, I want to suggest to you that this passage has a lot to say to us about each three of those group of questions. And in this passage, Luke is pointing us to, to Jesus, the Messiah, and of course to the gospel. But he does it by showing us three different scenes. And, and in those scenes, we're confronted with the content of those issues that I've already raised for you. So let's start with verse 8. With verse 8. My first point this morning is simply God is gracious to sinners. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the scene continues in verse 15, if you would skip down there. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So, of course, the first scene is the scene of the, the shepherds. Here we see how God is gracious to, to sinners. Now, you may be looking at verse 8 and you may be saying, well, I'm missing this. I'm not sure how verse 8 speaks to God being gracious to sinners. Well, let's, let's look at verse 8 closely. Remember when we were at the carols in the desert, you would have remembered me telling you a little bit about the shepherds that are here in our text. And shepherds were not held in high esteem in their culture. Shepherds were from a, a lower class of, of society. They had one of the hardest, they had one of the most dangerous jobs in the time of, of Jesus. And shepherds worked long hours and they would always sleep outside, normally in the front of the door of the, the sheep um, pen so that the sheep wouldn't escape. But these shepherds were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law as they were not considered credible witnesses. They were from a class of people who were generally um, despised by the, the rest of the society. And one of the reasons this class of people was generally despised is that they, they weren't involved in any of the religious services of the, of the day. They weren't allowed to go to the temple because they were busy, but they were also unclean. Remember, many of them, just because of their profession as shepherds, would get into contact with, with unclean animals, dead animals, that they would have to, to bury or remove from the rest of, of the flock. And because of that, they were considered unceremonially unclean. 
and of course unable to participate in the, the services of the temple. So people thought them to be non-religious. People looked down upon them. It's very likely that this flock, however, that was gathered close to the temple that was being cared for was probably designated for use in the temple. This particular um, group of shepherds were probably looking after sheep that were going to be slaughtered in the temple. But even though they were raising animals that were to be used in this sacrificial system, because they were unclean, and of course because they had got in contact with, with unclean animals, it was very likely that they would never be able to be involved in any public service of worship. And of course, being a witness in the court of law. But try and imagine how good, well, good folk or, or ordinary folk who were going to the temple, religious folk who were part of Israel at that time, try and imagine how they must have thought about these people who, who weren't visiting the temple very often. And I'm sure there were people who were looking down upon these, these shepherds. I'm sure there were people who held these shepherds in suspicion. And for these and other reasons, they, they were not highly regarded. And yet, I want you to notice this, yet, the announcement of the angels came to these lowly shepherds. The announcement didn't come to kings. It didn't come to the court of the kings. It didn't come to the, the priests who were regarded as, as higher class people. Remember the Sanhedrin and the, the Sadducees and, and even the Pharisees, they thought much about themselves, remember? But the announcement didn't come to them. It didn't come to the people who were teaching the Bible. It didn't come to people who were leading the synagogues. The announcement of the birth of the Messiah came to shepherds. Of all the people in society, it came to shepherds. And in that very announcement, the angels came to those who, who were not highly favored. And they were contemporaries and those who were considered amongst the, the sinners, the sinners of those, classy, those hardworking people. And I believe that in that very fact, by considering the people to whom this joyous announcement is first made, we learn something about our gracious God. We learn something about the gospel as well. And if you have read the gospels, you'd remember three times in the gospels in Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke, Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. I didn't come to call those who are, are well. I came to call those who are, who are sick. And in other words, Jesus is saying, I didn't come for people who think that they are already righteous. I came for people who are, who are sinners. I came for people who, who need a Savior. Now, Jesus was not suggesting that there is really a class of people who are not sinners. That's not, that's not what I'm saying either. All of us are sinners. But of course, there are some people who, who won't admit that they are sinners. There are some people who, who think that they have no need 
for a savior because they are not sinners. There's a class of people who think they don't need the, the grace of God. And sadly, in Israel's time and in our own time, some of those people are very religious. Some of those people are people who, who go to church. Some of those people who, who worship even a form of a God. And Jesus is saying, I've come for sinners. Like those shepherds that so many of, of you despise and, and look down on, those are the kinds of people that I announce the, the good news to. I want you to pause and think about this for a second, folks, because it's, it's hugely important. This word entitlement. Entitlement, a sense of entitlement kills gratitude, doesn't it? I mean, you know, all of us know of some children or, or friends of friends who have children who, who think that they are entitled, that they deserve their, their, their presence or they deserve what they have and they abuse their, their sense of, of gratitude or there is no sense of, of gratitude. And if we think we are owed the grace of God, if we think we deserve the mercy of God, then we will never ever be grateful for it. And we'll never be ready to receive it. It's only someone who knows that she needs grace, who is in a position to appreciate grace when it's offered, isn't it? It's only when a person knows that, that he needs the mercy of God, that the, the mercy of God is is so sweet. And that is so important for us to, to realize. If our understanding of ourselves is that, that we're good people, that we're moral people, and then of course God will, will cut us some slack because He knows how good we are. And he, of course He's here to forgive us, isn't He? That's what He came to do. So that's His job. Let Him get on with it then we'll never ever adequately understand the grace of God. And we may never understand the gospel at all if we think God owes us something. So the question this morning as we look at these shepherds is do you see yourself as a sinner? That's my first question. How do you think of yourself? Do you relate to these shepherds who saw themselves as sinners, who saw themselves as in need of redemption. And friends, I, I want to ask you this. Does, does that reality, the reality that you're a sinner, that you stand in need of grace, does it have a, a practical implication on how you live your life? Does it have, a, have an impact? Does it have a a radical impact on the choices that you make, on the, the things that you say to your friends and your, your community and your relatives. And the way you look at God, the way you, you look at yourself, and the way you look at others, do they see someone who thinks that they are entitled? Or do they see someone who is, who is humble and is thankful for the grace of God in their lives.
Of course, the way you treat others all plays into this, doesn't it? Now God is a gracious God, and He reaches out to sinners. And that's what we see here with the picture of the, the shepherds. The second picture we see is in verse 9 to verse 14. And that is the picture of the angels. The angels who love the gospel. The angels who love the gospel. And let's remember, angels do not need to be forgiven. Angels do not need to be forgiven, and yet they love the gospel. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And look carefully there at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Started off with just one angel. And then suddenly there was a multitude. And they were praising God and they were saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice there, first of all, in verse 11, they say, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Underline that or put a circle around that. Now already they, they're talking about the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, are they not? They're talking about the Messiah that had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And that Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. But notice in verse 11, what's, what's significant about the city of David? What's significant about that? Where in the Old Testament is it said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? We spoke about this already last week. Of course, in, in Micah chapter 5, that prophecy is made that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And the angels are announcing this, isn't it? The angels are announcing this. Bethlehem, the city of David. That's where David was born, King David. Jesus, the Old Testament, is pointing towards the Messiah. And it's very interesting that, that in the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, it almost always starts right here with Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And of course, the angels are excited about this. They're singing about this. Look again at verse 11. Who is this who has been born? The Savior who is Christ. Now, Christ is not just the, the last name of Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ, David Taylor. It's not like that, okay? Jesus is his first name. While it's the name Joshua, it's the Jewish the, the Jewish name Joshua means Savior. Remember, Joshua brought them into Canaan. He was a, a type of a, of a Savior. But, but Christ is a title. Christ is a title. It's a very important title because it means Messiah. It means Messiah. And what they were saying is that the Messiah, 
Jesus has been born, and he is our Savior. He is the anointed one, the Messiah that God had prophesied in the days of the Old Testament. And so the gospel is announced that Jesus is not only fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, but that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and the angels are excited about this. And then again, look at verse 11. It doesn't stop there. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now again, this is not a description that Jesus simply is our master. Of course, that, that is true, but that's not all they're saying. The word Lord in, in the Old Testament very often is the name of God. Do you remember when Moses encountered God at, at, the, at the burning bush? And God, and God is there telling Moses that he has to go to the elders of Israel and say to them, God has sent me to deliver you out of the hand of Pharaoh. So do you remember that one of the excuses that Moses, Moses gives is, is, Lord, who am I going to say who is sending me? What's your, what's your name? I don't know your name. And God says, you tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. Tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent you. And his name, by the way, is I am, I am. And the shorter version of that is the word Lord, is the word Lord. And so when the angels announce that the Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord is born, they are announcing the divinity of Jesus Christ. They're not announcing just a special person is going to be born, or they're not even announcing that a special prophet is going to be born. They are announcing that Jesus is God. I was really blessed this week to, to hear a conversation between um, my youngest and a, and a new neighbor that we, we have who, is, um, who, who doesn't know about Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. And what's the difference? And this one man, though this young boy, he, he's, Gabriel says to him, sorry, I mentioned your name. Gabriel said to him, we believe in Jesus. And this young boy says, yes, I also believe in Jesus. And Gabriel said, well, Jesus came, came to earth during Christmas time. And he was born of Mary. And, and this little boy says, yes, our, our scriptures also talk about that. And then Gabriel said to him, well, he wasn't created at Christmas. He was incarnated. He came in the form of of a human being. He became flesh. And I was so thrilled that Gabriel said that. Because that's the, that's the distinction there, isn't there, folks? He's not a prophet who was born a normal birth. Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus, where Jesus became a man, a human being. And that's what the angels are announcing here. Jesus is God. God has come to the earth. And he is the Messiah who will save us from our sins because of his physical birth. And again, if you look at verse 12, they speak of the, 
the condescension of Christ, in the humiliation of the incarnation. We've spoken about that as well. In Christ the Lord, the, the Savior is born. But at the end of verse 12, where is he placed? Is he placed on a throne? No, he's placed in a manger. Now think about that combination for a moment. A Savior who is Messiah the Lord, God in flesh, is born, but he's born in a manger. A manger where animals eat out of, a dirty trough. So they announce the, the humiliation of Christ as, as part of the gospel. It's integral to the gospel. And they announce that Jesus has come in, in order that we might enjoy the, the peace of God. The total favor and well-being that only God can give. Nobody else. Look at verse 14 there. Look at the song they're singing. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on those on whom His favor rests. So they announce the peace of God. And it's, it's striking, isn't it? What's, what is happening here? Who is it that announces peace? Well, look back at verse 13. Suddenly there was with this one angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. A multitude. The armies of God were present as this announcement was, was being made. Now you need to understand this, folks, that this army of angels is far more powerful than a billion atom bombs, okay? This army of angels could have incinerated every human being on earth when they made this announcement. And if God had told them to, they could have easily have done that. This army of angels is far more powerful than anything that you could possibly imagine or, or conceive. And this army of angels is here to announce what? Peace. They're here to announce peace. And normally armies are not sent to announce peace. Normally armies are, are sent to, to attack or to defend or to destroy and even kill if, if necessary, isn't it? But this army comes to announce peace. And I think in the very announcement of peace by this army, we are reminded that one day, that army will come again with Jesus. And it will be too late for sinners when that army returns. And the Lord comes in judgment. Now this is the time to, to scratch our heads and to receive this gift that the Lord is offering. Now is the time to, to stretch out and receive this, this free gift of grace. Not to wait, not to put it off. Grace has been offered. Peace has been offered. When the Lord returns with His armies again, it will be in judgment. And it will be too late. But these angels, you understand, they're excited about the gospel. I want you to see that. They're excited about the gospel. And you may say, well, you know, Pastor Gareth, it's, that's their job. That's what they've been created to do. It's their job to make this announcement. It's their job to, to sing praises. Folks, understand, the angels never go through the motions. They don't go through the motions when it comes to worshiping God. 
Now, you and I may do that. Sometimes, when we've had a bad day, or we've got unconfessed sin, we come to church and it's just going through the motions sometimes, isn't it? We hardly hear what's being said. We, we hardly focus on what's being sung. We hardly see the words that are, that are being read from Scripture. And we just go through the motions because it's the right thing to do. But not these angels. Angels never go through the motions. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. They cannot believe that God gives grace to undeserved sinners. And we talk about fallen angels, don't we? The Bible does. And the reason those angels are condemned is because they can never be redeemed. Angels cannot be forgiven. Those fallen angels one day will be destroyed. They cannot ask for forgiveness. And yet they marvel at how God offers peace and forgiveness to human beings. And they look at this grace and they praise God for it. It's not a matter of sitting in the church and going, oh, what's the time? Lunch is getting served soon. The angels don't do that. When the angels say glory to God in the highest, they genuinely mean it. And they are excited about the gospel. And I want to tell you this, friends. These angels should not be more excited about the gospel than you and me. It's because we are recipients of this grace. they just observers. We are beneficiaries of this grace from God. These angels in heaven, the ones that are singing this praise, they haven't sinned. They haven't fallen. These angels are without sin. Think about that for a moment. These angels had, had never rebelled against God. But you and I have. You and I have. We should never let the angels outpraise us for the gospel. These angels are excited. And we ought to be more excited about the gospel. About what the Lord has done for us. What do you think about the gospel? There's the question. Are you excited about the gospel? Does your praise of God for His grace in your life, for His forgiveness of your sins, does it rival the, the praise of the angels? You know, we have every reason to praise God more than the angels did because we are beneficiaries of this gospel. And it should always be in our hearts, wherever we are, it should define us. It should help us to, to choose to honor God rather than to honor man, if we have to. It should make us want to fear God more than to fear man. We should be thinking about it. At least some aspect of our day should have the gospel in it, where we are pondering on this wonderful good news. It should be part of our lives, not just on a Friday, not just once a week for a couple of hours. Every single day, we should be pondering on the gospel, the good news of the gospel. My last point this morning is in 
verse 19 to 20. The good news of the gospel should cause us to praise. One last thing. One preacher said once, the good news shared with Mary and with the shepherds sets Mary a-pondering and the shepherds a-praising. I like that. Mary a-pondering and the shepherds a-praising. Look at verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Folks, the response of Mary and the shepherds, even though they are different and yet similar, the response of Mary and the shepherds is a, is a model, is, is, is an example for us of how we should respond when we receive revelation. And I'm not talking about an angel that's going to appear to you tomorrow and give you some new information about God. I'm talking about this revelation that's been recorded for us in this Bible. How do we respond to revelation? How do we respond to the truth? Are we pondering on the gospel? Are we praising God for the good news? You know, New Year's is just a few days away. And I'd like you to, I would like to challenge you all this year to, to memorize some of the scriptures. And to meditate on those scriptures. And to reflect more on the, the Word of God. You know, write out a verse on the mirror of your bathroom one, one, once, once a week. And as you go to that mirror and you, you ponder on how beautiful you are, <laughs> ponder on the gospel. Ponder on the scriptures. I want to challenge you. That's exactly what Mary's doing here, isn't she? She's pondering the good news. She's, she's meditating on it. And I want to tell you, if you... If you're meditating on the gospel, there is no way that you can feel entitled. If you have scripture on your mind, there's no way that you will be ungrateful for what God has given to you. And if you're pondering and praising God for the gospel, there is no way that, that you will have an ungrateful heart. And Mary, no doubt, was overwhelmed by all the things that that she saw and that she was experiencing. And she expresses her wonder in one way, and the shepherds express their, their praise and wonder in another way. But they are an example for us. They are an example for us. Now, one Puritan by the name of John Owen, he said once, in the divine scriptures there are shallows and there are deeps. Shallows where the lamb may wade, and deeps where the elephant may swim. Now what he means by that is that there are some parts of the Bible that the youngest Christian can understand. And there are some parts of the Bible that the most mature, most knowing, most studied Christian cannot plumb the depths of. And that's okay. And that's okay. You know, sometimes those points are actually the same points in, in Scripture. The Gospel is one of those points that the youngest Christian may, may wade in the glory of the gospel. We're never too young to learn more about the gospel. And of course, the most mature Christian, he may swim in, in the depths of the gospel, and he will never ever have enough of it. He will never have enough of it. I love speaking to 
people who have just come to faith in Christ. For me, it's, it's so refreshing to, to sit with somebody and hear their testimony, their, their, their new testimony that, of their salvation that they've just heard, that, that, that just happened to them. I mean, they're excited, aren't they? They're excited about what God has done. I mean, you can see the gratitude in their hearts. Sometimes there's even tears at what the Lord has, has done for them. And you can sit and listen, eagerly hearing how God has changed their lives. And sometimes that excitement isn't passed over to older Christians, isn't it? Older Christians who've been saved a longer time. That enthusiasm for the gospel they think they've grown out of. The gospel is something for, for, for unbelievers. It's not something for me. I'm into to deeper and bigger things. Folks, just let me remind you, we can, never, we can never grow out of the gospel. We can never learn enough of the gospel. And the excitement and that exuberance and that relief and that joy we see even here with the, the angels in some aspect. And it needs to be seen in our lives. It's a joy to see older saints who've been through, through many dangers and they've gone through many trials. It's a joy to sit with them and even hear them talk about their Savior through all the troubles that they've had. It's a joy to sit with those faithful saints who are, who are still trusting the Lord after all those years. And that's just the effect of the gospel of people, young or old, who still love the gospel. And I think Mary and the shepherds are examples to us. The good news should set our hearts pondering and, and our hearts praising. There should be nothing that we'd rather think about than God and the gospel. It should be part of our conversation with our, with our dearest ones and our, and our best friends. We should be able to talk about all sorts of things that we have in common. But let's not forget about the gospel, folks. Now, why is it that sometimes when we get together with our families, we can talk about all sorts of things, isn't it? But sometimes we, we leave out the most important things, the gospel. Now, I want to encourage you this year, we're having a few more studies where we can learn more about the gospel. Maybe we're intimidated. Maybe we think we don't know enough or we can't, we can't um, articulate the gospel effectively. Well, let me encourage you. That's what, that's what we have these studies for. And we announced this morning that the ladies are having a study coming up, a book study from, from a book called What is the Gospel? And it's not just for, un it's not for unbelievers, it's for believers so that they can explain the gospel to others. And men, we're having a, a book study called The Compelling Community. And it's about a church that is saturated with the gospel. And how a church that loves the gospel and lives the gospel can have an effect, a biblical, effective effect in the, communi the community. And I want to encourage you to, to be part of those. Be part of these groups. Even if you're not part of a home group yet, why don't you start there? Become part of a home group where we talk about the scriptures, where we talk about the gospel, and we talk about the effects of it in our day-to-day -day lives. Join a home group. Learn more about the gospel together. So back to those questions as we conclude this morning. 
As you think about yourself, do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see yourself in need of God's mercy and grace? And secondly, what do you think about the gospel? Do you think about the gospel? Are there times in the middle of your day between food and children when you think about the gospel? And what do you think about? How does it apply to you? Third set of questions. What is it that you get excited about? And perhaps we need to repent of idolizing some things in our lives that we are so excited about rather than Jesus, rather than the gospel. What occupies your thoughts when you're not thinking about other things? When you're not thinking about anything else, what do you think about? So this gospel was part of Mary's deepest thoughts. And the same is true for the shepherds as we see in this passage. And Luke gives us much to think about, doesn't he here, folks? We should be gospel-saturated people, a people who realize that, that we're sinners and that we didn't deserve God to reach out to us in grace. But he did anyway. And we ought not to be bored by that. We ought to be overjoyed. We should be surprised by that. And God in the gospel has given us something that, that angels love to sing about. Do you? Do you? And God in the gospel has given us something to ponder about and something to praise about. The question is, do you? Do you do this? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, there's lots this morning that we need to be pondering about. There's lots here in this passage, Lord, that we need to be meditating on. We thank you first and foremost for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your dear son. Thank you for sending him into this, into this world that has rejected you. Thank you for sending him into this sin-cursed world so that he would give his life as a ransom for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. We pray, Lord, that, that we would know that we need Jesus. Grant us, Lord, this understanding. Grant us this wisdom. We would not take your grace for granted. That we would love your grace. That we would be grateful. And that we would not be people who have this sense of entitlement. Help us to believe that it wouldn't just be an academic understanding, but that it would drop down just a few inches into our heart, Lord, where we would live and love the gospel. We pray you help us, Lord, this year, especially as we go into 2020, that you would help us to be pondering more and more on the gospel for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would praise you for it. Not just with our lips, but with our bodies as well. And that you would receive all the honor and glory that you deserve. So we pray this here, Lord. May you be magnified. May you be exalted, not just by our words, but by our lives. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.